Today's Money Guy show is sponsored by... You can create wealth on your present income, but you've got to realize that what you don't know about money is costing you a fortune. Log on to our website right now, mywealthmatters.com. Get your five free wealth-building tools from our financial toolbox. These tools can show you how to get a better handle on what's happening to your money. And inevitably, a benefit of better tracking of your money equates to a substantial raise in your personal income. Log on right now, mywealthmatters.com. Click on the podcast and Wealth Building Tools link and download the Wealth Building Tools absolutely free. My Wealth Matters, showing you how to create wealth on your present income. MyWealthMatters.com. You can download our free podcast and our wealth building toolbox. No obligation. It's absolutely free. MyWealthMatters.com. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Restoring order to your financial chaos. Retirement. Investing. Taxes. You've got financial questions. He's got financial answers. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. It has been a busy two weeks here at the Money Guy Show. If you haven't had a chance, go out and check out our brand new website. It's money-guy.com. Also, as you probably noticed at the beginning of this podcast, we now have sponsors. And I want you, just like anything else out there, um, if you guys want to help me out to keep this show going, we need to obviously think about our sponsors. And please go check out their websites. This is a new thing for us. You can go out to mywealthmatters.com. And um, check out at least their free tools that they have available for you. But this is um, going to help us, as you've already probably noticed, improve the podcast. And what I say by that, when I mean improve the podcast, I'm talking about you probably notice we don't have that sound as so many of you put in your feedback on the show that we sound like we were recording this show in a bathroom or in a cave. We have added a brand new microphone, and these microphones are not cheap. We went out and bought the microphone that is probably used in about 85% of the radio stations in America. It is top-notch professional quality, and uh, you're probably recognizing that right now. We have a great show today. I am so excited about today's show because we're going to talk about your 401Ks. Now, many of you have written me emails, and that's what a lot of the emails that I've responded to in the past have pertained to is your 401Ks, because let's face it, pensions are going extinct, so we've got to take care of ourselves. So a lot of you have a lot of questions out there, and I, you know, I, I consider myself a sharp guy, but I don't have that laser pinpoint ability to um, know when I need to focus on something. So fortunately enough of you have sent me emails and questions that I've been clubbed over the head enough to realize that we need to do a financial chaos topic. And remember, the whole purpose of the Money Guy show is that we're going to restore order to your financial chaos, all for the whopping price of free. So let's see if we can do this. In addition to talking about your 401K and the way you need to improve and make better use of it, we've also got a great article from the August 7th Wall Street Journal that I'm going to talk about after the financial chaos topic that – if you don't hang around for the articles, this is probably one that's worthwhile and staying for. It talks about Morningstar is adding a brand new data figure that they're going to have by the end of the year called Investor Returns. I don't know if they're going to put this on Morningstar.com, but they'll definitely add it to the software. And what this is going to allow you to do is a lot of times mutual fund companies will brag about their past performance numbers. But what they never tell you is, 
what does the average investor of their fund get in return? So this is going to shed a lot of light on that because remember, a lot of investors jump in when the market's at the peak, meaning they go in after they, they find that mutual fund in the top funds of 2003, and they go buy that mutual fund after it had its great run, and then it doesn't have the same performance the following year. So this is going to be a great data point to show you really what most investors are getting. I found it very, very fascinating. I also have another article from the exact same Wall Street Journal from the August 7th edition talking about the benefits of saving are wasted on the youth of America. And I want to read you some stats that are out of that because what it does is is it will show you guys that I'm not just speaking here without being right about a few things. There are um, quite a few stats I throw out to you guys or rules of thumbs about what you need to be doing for retirement. And this article in the Wall Street Journal just comes out. It almost looks like I might have written this article. So I was very excited to see um, this type of information out there. But getting back to what we're doing today, let's talk about conquering your 401k and other retirement accounts. And I, I, 401ks probably impact the majority of the people out there. But I know there's quite a few of you that have 403Bs, simple IRAs, and other retirement variations. So that's why we have um, put 401Ks and other retirement accounts, because I don't want you to feel like if you don't have a 401K, this doesn't pertain to you. The first thing that I wanted to talk about is the common mistakes that most investors are making with their retirement accounts. Now, there was a recent study by Vanguard. Now, Vanguard, I'm a very big fan of because they you know they, they're known for their low-cost funds they always seem to have the investor at heart and they recently had a study that was just tremendous on talking about what you can do to fix your 401k and what they talked about let me give you a few of the stats they did the study, and, they, and what they did is they looked at 12,000 plan participants who went from just managing the funds themselves and going into their their managed fund options. If you've noticed, a lot of fund companies like Fidelity with their Freedom Funds and Vanguard has a Target Funds where you choose your retirement date, and then they essentially do all the asset allocation for you. And what they found was that there were some huge problems in the way people were managing their money. For instance, on average... Many of the people who signed up for these management accounts, their stock fund holdings increased by more than 39%. So what does that mean? That means the majority of you guys out there are being way too conservative or, on the other side of it, way too aggressive for your, your portfolios. You're not using good diversification through asset allocation. The other thing that they came up with is those that have company stock meaning that if you work for GE, you have GE stock or Coca-Cola, you have Coca-Cola stock. They found that when these participants signed up for the managed option, that they slashed their internal company stock holdings by 38%. So that means that a lot of these investors were loading up on their internal stock funds. And why is that a problem, you say? Well, hey, you're always – I know I've heard the argument so many times. You're like, well, wait a minute. They give me discounts, and plus I love the company I work for. I think they're a good company. But don't you think you have enough risk working for that company, knowing that your paycheck comes from that company, that now you're going to put your future financial independence in the hands of that company's stock as well? That just seems like way too much risk 
for the average investor. So we've got to, just like you have to diversify your holdings between large companies, small companies, and international and bonds, you need to diversify your assets by the company you work for and your assets that are set aside for retirement. So always focus on that. But a few additional things that I've typed up that you that most people, common mistakes that people are making, include they're not saving enough. And I'm going to get into this, especially after we get through with the financial chaos topic, with this um, the, the wasted benefits of saving that our, current, our youth are doing in America right now. But you do need to realize that the majority of people are saving way too little money for retirement. If you're not maximizing the employer's match, you are just completely wasting money. You're throwing money down a rat hole. And when I say, you know, a lot of times these employers will offer you a 3% match or 50 cents on the dollar for the first 6% of your wages. Take them up on that. That is free money that they are offering you, and you really need to take advantage of that. Also, most people do not understand the fees and expenses that they are paying within their 401k or retirement options. I'm going to help you with that today, too. I've got some great tools. I'm basically giving away the farm on today's show by giving you some actual um, worksheets you can use to analyze as well as some great websites to go get the actual analytical data you need to make the good decisions. So this is going to be a great podcast to help you out. And remember, it's for the whopping price of free. You also need to consider asset allocation is either too risky or too conservative. We've already discussed that based upon that Vanguard study. There's also the lack of diversification, and I'll give a good example, and hopefully she won't get upset with me. My sister-in-law works for one of the airline companies, and she brought to me her 401K that she had. And, and what cracked me up is when I looked at her retirement account, and I think this is all too common, she had one fund called the Growth Fund of America. She had another one that was like the S&P 500, but they all had different names, but if you actually went and looked at what they had within their investment, the, the holdings of that, those mutual funds, they were all the S&P 500. They looked exactly alike. The only thing different was their names. So she had no diversification. Even though she owned three or four funds, they were all the exact same holdings except for their names were a little bit different. So be careful that you're not buying a fund that's doing the exact same thing of another fund that's in your 401K or retirement plan. Also, as I've already mentioned, this is just to reiterate it, too much company stock in your retirement account. Make sure you're not doing that. You have enough risk just by the sheer fact that you work at that company. And then also, most people compartmentalize and segregate their assets out too much, meaning that you don't take into account your other assets outside of your retirement account. You need to not just uh, – I'll give you a good example is I have clients – that I'll look at the husband's 401k, and then I'll look at the wife's 401k, and they're doing completely different things. You'll find the husband has 100% cash, money markets, I, I should say, or stable value funds. Meanwhile, the wife has got a 100% stock, and they're doing completely different things, and they're not looking at it as one big allocation of investments. You've got to take into account all assets out there that you have, whether you have them not only in your retirement account, but also in your personal savings account, because those do dramatically impact your diversification, and you need to take that into account. So what can you do to fix these issues? And I'm moving rather quickly here because we have a lot to cover in a short period of time. The first thing you've got to do is you've got to locate 
and organize your retirement plan investment options. And what do I mean by that? What I mean is that you need to go find out what you have available to you. Some plans only offer six to ten choices. Meanwhile, others will say you have the entire universe of Fidelity funds, which can be thousands of fund choices. So you need to find out what you have available to you. And then here's a little sidebar tip. Go ahead and find out what the ticker symbols. Find that sheet, that summary sheet that has all the ticker symbols for every one of your investment options because that's going to allow you to, to use some of the tools that I'm going to offer to you in, in a few moments. The next thing you've got to do is you've got to make sure that you review your retirement goals. Now, I know some of this stuff sounds like the warm and fuzzy part, like, you know, retire, you know, analyze your retirement goals. But we're about to get to the, to the meat of this, meaning the numbers of it. But I do want you to focus on some of these warm, fuzzy things because it, you really need to think about what your retirement goals are because it's different for everybody. Some people, when they retire, after they get the gold watch, they expect to walk out and never work again and basically relax. Maybe go to the beach, maybe go to the mountains, hang out with grandkids, but they don't plan on working. Another group, and you see all kind of articles with this because baby boomers have been doing this a good bit as they just now start to enter retirement. A lot of them are using it as an opportunity to go into brand new career fields. And that's kind of an exciting thing. So you have to figure out where you fall on that. Do you, are you, do you plan on starting a company in retirement? Do you plan on just relaxing on the beach? Every one of these different decisions will have different impacts. The third thing you need to consider is the asset allocation and risk profile. Now, this is where it's getting a little heavier, and this is where I'm giving away the farm. I have attached to my website, and remember, I know I've given this already, and you can rewind and go back, but I'll give it one more time, is money-guy.com. You can go look at our brand-new website. We have the risk tolerance worksheet. On here, you can go actually answer the questions, and it will help you determine what type of portfolio strategy you might want to consider for your retirement account. So from this, you're probably going, well, wait a minute, just because you give me a name, to my allocation of what I should consider for my portfolio strategy. What do I, how do I turn that into actual numbers? Well, I've taken it a step further, and we've actually also posted some model portfolios on the website. Now, this is pretty crazy for us to give this away. I'm hoping my partner, Bill, does not get upset with me for putting this information out there, but I think it's that important. Now, let me give you one disclaimer. These are very simple model portfolios. And they should not be construed as the perfect ideal asset allocation for you. Your situation might be a little different. And by no means should you think that these model portfolios are actually a personal recommendation for you because everybody's a little bit different on their goals, on you know their age, their time frame. But it does, it can give you an example of what you might want to consider. So I, I hope I haven't... Um, taken away from it, but you do realize with the liabilities out there that we do need to put a disclaimer um, on what's going on with your certain situation with your retirement plan. So go out there and look at those model portfolios as well as the risk questionnaire, and I think it will help you figure out what type of investor you are. Also, another limitation with these, these model portfolios is that they're probably good for somebody who has a smaller portfolio 
But once you get a portfolio over a hundred dollars to $200,000 in your retirement account, you are going to need some additional asset classes. For instance, these asset models do not have real estate. They do not have commodities as well as um, some of the other strategies that you probably want to take advantage of. But they are, for the primary, probably the majority of the people who are trying to tune into this information who don't have access to a fee-only planner or a comprehensive person that can help them analyze their funds, this is a great tool. The fourth thing that you really need to look at is some type of objective analysis of your investment options and fees. Because a lot of times I will tell you, you're going to get the company folder of their 401k plan, and it's going to be so confusing as to what you're paying because they hide all the fees that you're paying on page 25 of some legal document called a prospectus that you have to go pull a magnifying glass out to figure out what in the world's going on. So I wanted to try to, to give you some tools to help you cut through all the paperwork and all the legal disclosures and let you actually see the meat of what's going on. So what I've done is on the website, you will go and there will be a Yahoo Finance Fund Profile that you can click on from my website. And it's powered by, I was so pleased to see it because I was going to originally just link you to the Morningstar website, but I was so pleased with the way Yahoo had it laid out. That's why that's the links that I provided because it is powered through Morningstar data, which is an objective source. It's really good. That's what I actually, I use the Morningstar portfolio software myself for my clients when I'm analyzing portfolios. So it's great analytical data that's going to help you. It's also got it broken down when you pull up those fund profiles. You're then going to be able to also pull up the performance of these funds historically, the holdings, meaning what they're actually invested in. That's a good way for you to go back and compare several funds to make sure you're not buying four funds, even though they have different names, are buying the exact same investments. That's what we're trying to avoid. It also will help you assess the risk, so you can you know, bring that into relationship with your risk profile that we did from that questionnaire. And then it will also tell you purchase info, meaning which brokers or fund companies offer the um, investment that you're interested in. So let's, um, let's focus on, on the profile page, what's important to you. The big things you need to focus on are the fees and expenses. And this is, what I, this is what I love about the way Yahoo did this, and this is part of the decision on why I decided to go with the, the Yahoo page versus the Morningstar pages. They actually do a side-by-side -side comparison with the category average. That's tremendous because now you can figure out where there's discrepancies in your investment from what's going on there with the norm. And on your fees and expenses, remember the lower the better. It's always better to get the lowest cost that you possibly can because every dollar you save on internal expenses and commissions is another dollar going into your back pocket on your investments. So focus on that. You also need to know the Morningstar style box. And, and what's great about the link that I, that's put on there is that it actually gives you a definition. Essentially, you can click on a link right above the Morningstar style box that tells you how to interpret what each of these things are. But it's very easy. It breaks it into large company stocks, mid-sized company stocks, and small company stocks, and whether they're value stocks, blended stocks, or growth stocks. So you can kind of figure out, based upon that, those portfolio models, where you fall on that. That's tremendous. It also gives you a turnover number. 
And remember, we're buy and hold type investors. So the, the lower the turnover, the better, because that also means we're going to have lower expenses. Because if they're not doing a ton of trades, that's going to be, translate right into lower expenses for your 401k. Now, there are some exceptions. Let me throw that out. There's small company stocks and international stocks are probably going to have a few more trades. That's, that's pretty commonplace, and that's why you're going to see usually a little bit higher internal operating expense, usually in small company stocks and international as well. So just keep that in mind. But these are important things for you to focus on. The other thing that you want to make sure is if you can, under the profile, look at the fees and the expenses, is if you can avoid paying commissions, when I say commissions, I mean the 12B-1 fees, the front-end sales load, and the deferred sales load, do it. Because those are things that are going to help you save money on your portfolio and keep more money in your account. And it's great because they do an average there to show you what, what will happen if you invest $10,000 over a period of time and how much it's going to cost you on average, which is just a great way because a lot of people, you can tell them something, but until they actually see the number, it just doesn't sink in. So at least this, you go get the number, and it's going to sink in, and you can really see how it impacts you. The next button that you're going to see on the website is you can actually do a performance analysis. And this is a good way to determine if you can handle the risk of the fund because what they have under there is they have the best and worst one-year and three-year average returns for this fund, and it gives you the time frame. This is huge. This is what I call the gut check. Because let's face it, if you look at a fund and it tells you it was down 20% back in 2002, you need to ask yourself, can I handle that type of risk? Now, I'm going to tell you there's a good chance that you really need to go and look at the three-year average because that's going to be a better representation than, the, than just looking at the one-year. But it does give you at least some ability to go see the best and worst performance. Now, I want you to, I want to challenge you to something else because I see it a ton when I'm analyzing portfolios and doing this type of risk analysis for prospects and clients is I will challenge you. You'll notice the worst performance when it shows the worst year or the worst three years, the best performance, best one year and three years is typically right after that worst performance. And this is a perfect case in point of something I've been preaching to you guys for a long time is that if you can weather the storm and hang in there during the bad times, you will be rewarded. And that's where I think most investors are their worst enemy is that they will actually buy at the top of the market because they get all excited because they got that magazine that has the 2006 best funds to invest in. They'll buy at the top of the market in that chasing the hot dot fund, and then they'll write it down, and then they sell it after, because it, it performs very poorly for probably the next three to four years. They'll sell it after it just sits there and trods along and not making much money, and right after they sell it, what will happen? Once again, it will usually bounce right back up because a lot of these statistical numbers out there on average performance – and you're going to see this from this Wall Street Journal article I'm going to go over after I finish with the financial chaos topic. You are that you're rewarded the longer you stay in a fund because you you have to remember the average performance is taking into account that maybe one year it's up 15%, but then it only makes 3% the following year. Maybe another year it's up 7%. They take an average of all those years combined together. So you really need to be realistic when you look at these things and buy into them knowing that you're going to be a buy-and-hold type of investor. So that's one of the great things I do like about looking at that performance button on the Yahoo site is it is going to allow you to go look at the best and worst times. I challenge you, though, to go look and see how those dates correlate with each other because it is truly amazing. The next thing, and this is important, 
I wish I could spend more time on this, but there's such great tools out there on the Internet that can give you definitions. If you just go into Google or Yahoo and type in investment definitions plus these words, you'll understand what I'm talking about. You can get a better in-depth analysis, but I'm going to give you, I give you some basics on the website. But when we're talking about risk, you can use and focus on the following statistics. You can look at the alpha. The alpha is the measure of risk-adjusted performance. And positive is good, and the higher the number, the better. It's just going to show you, you know, based upon the risk, what the past performance has been and how those two correlate together. And, you know, a good high alpha is what you're looking for because that means in, in relationship to the index, it's doing very well. The next thing you want to look at is beta. Beta is the risk in relation to the market, and usually the market is the S&P 500. This shows you how much you're taking on. And a good rule of thumb, this isn't an exact thing, but you can consider it just a common sense way to look at this, is if you have a beta of 50, that means if the stock market went down 20%, you're hoping that your portfolio only goes down 10%. It just gives you kind of a relationship of how much you can expect volatility-wise with the market. R squared, this is the correlation to how much the percentage of how much you're holding, the fund's holdings, correlate directly to the index. And um, the, the definition I put on the website is percentage of an investment's movement that are explained by movements in the index. Remember, it's just how much your investment is going to behave just like the index. So you're looking at that correlation. If it's got a one correlation, meaning 100% correlation, that means it's going to do exactly whatever the index does. That's what most index funds, like if you buy the Spartan Index 500 and go look at the market correlation, it should be right around a one correlation because it's doing 100% of whatever the market's doing because they're, they're buying the exact same investments. Um, so that's the risk kind of defined. Uh, you can also look at standard deviation. I didn't put this on the website, but standard deviation is going to show you the variance in returns. And there's many other statistical numbers, and you need to kind of educate yourself on what these numbers represent because Morningstar and Yahoo lay the numbers out. It's up to you to educate yourself to figure out what to do with them. The next thing you need to do, the fifth item on this checklist of what you really need to do with your retirement accounts, is you need to check your beneficiaries. And I know we talked about this when I did the estate planning podcast, but it's worth coming back to because there are huge, I repeat, huge tax benefits to making sure that if something ever happens to you, that your assets are transferred based upon your beneficiary designations, not by your wills. I can't tell you how many times I talk to a prospect or a client, and, and you know when we're filling out those IRA forms or the 401k beneficiary forms, and they will say, yeah, but I have a will. The will's going to take care of all this. I just want my will to take care of it. No, you need to, you need to realize the beneficiary designations supersede, and you will not even have any. It will not even go through your will, which is gone. It means it goes through probate. Only assets that go through your will are assets that are probated. If you have joint survive, you know, joints tenants with rights of survivorship on any property, um, a life insurance designation, beneficiary designation, um, IRA beneficiary designations are payable upon death accounts. Those do not go through your will. They go by the designations listed on the accounts. So you need to make sure that you have those correct. Otherwise, your, 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 your heirs are going to be 
really wishing you would have because they're going to be left holding the bag with meaning a tax bill. So be very careful. Um, this will help you out. There are huge tax savings, as I said, based upon the, the beneficiary designations. You also need to make sure that you name a contingent beneficiary. I'm very surprised most of the times most people you know, will have their spouse name. That's perfectly fine as their primary beneficiary. But then they don't ever list the contingent beneficiaries. Well, there's always a good chance. What if you're killed in an accident? You know, a car accident, plane accident. Good chance you're probably going to be traveling with your spouse. And the same tax rules apply if you can have a direct beneficiary designation to the person. There's huge tax savings. So if you pass away with your spouse, it sure is nice if you have that contingent beneficiary information filled out because it flows directly to those contingent beneficiaries, which are usually your children or trust, and they get the, the preferred tax treatment. Now, when you do contingent beneficiaries or primary beneficiaries, if you're already single but have children or somebody that you want to pass, several people you want to pass assets down, you really might want to consider adding a provision called per stirrups. I always get the question, well, what does that mean? Let me give you a good example. Say you have three children. And you name them, you want them each to get 33.33% a piece in case something happens to you. Well, what happens under most beneficiary designations if one of your children dies, one of the three passes away before you pass away? And I know that's an awful situation, but you need to think about this. If you don't add the per stirrups designation on there, then the remaining share, the remaining assets will just pass 50-50 to the remaining children. And that's not always what you intended. A lot of times you wanted their children because they you, you might probably have grandkids from those children. You wanted their children, your grandchildren, to receive your portion, I mean their por you know, their their father or mother's portion of the assets. The only way you can do that is by adding per stirrups. So that's something you really might want to look at. Most beneficiary designation forms I've seen recently have added that provision on there. And that's another reason you probably want to go update your forms. A lot of times especially if you did your retirement accounts many, many years ago, they have updated the forms. Now, a lot of times back in the old days, or I should say 15, 20 years ago, they didn't even list contingent beneficiaries. They just had a primary beneficiary or they named your spouse um, just automatically, and now they've added contingent beneficiaries as well as these per stirrup provisions on there. So you need to go update these things and just make sure you're taking advantage of all the options that are available to you and your family members. So a few of you out there are probably listening, and you will go do the research in your 401k, you will realize, because you work for a small employer, because typically you can't get the really low-cost providers unless your plan has over $3 million in it. And let's face it, the majority of the employers out there are small businessmen and women, and they're not going to have big 401ks. So you're probably going to be stuck in a high-fee structured annuity or mutual fund company that you're going to be kind of sick when you see how much you're paying once you type in these symbols. And I want to give you some advice on what you could do about being stuck in a, a situation. First thing before I give you, you know, give you the education to know what you can do and go talk to your employer about, know, like I said, that matching funds are free funds. So if you do get stuck with a bad plan, Make sure you're still doing that matching contribution because it's just it's like that song, you got to love the one you're with because you're not going to give up that free money. But once you've, you've 
gotten that matching, if you are on one of these high fee structure plans, you probably ought to go talk to your your boss, um, the owner of the company, whoever you can, and remind them that they have a fiduciary responsibility. Now, this is something they've always had a fiduciary responsibility, but it's getting much more press recently. You know, up in New York and elsewhere, you've seen the attorney general go after you know, tobacco first, then it was mutual fund companies. Remember the big scandals that went on about back in 2004? Well, there is much speculation that the next area that a lot of the state and federal regulatory bodies are going to go after are your retirement accounts and the people that are running them. Because I don't know how many of you know how profitable it is for some of these high-cost plans to run a 401k. You think about it, there are quite a few. I'll give you an example. I read about there was a $100 million plan that had an insurance-based product that was had an additional $380,000 of annual fees that they could not account for, and it was going directly to the financial advisor that had recommended the plan. And these are fees that just were not necessary, but you, know, you do the math on that, and that's just a small percentage of what they were taking out there. But this is not uncommon. You see these um, sweetheart deals where maybe your boss's college roommate is an insurance guy or a mutual fund salesman, and they'll put them in these things because they're friends, they don't know any better, or even worse case, they maybe they got a kickback. Maybe they got something free for doing this. Well, the government is starting to get wind of these situations, and they're coming strong because they're scared. Let's face it, we know Social Security is weak. And I'm not going to go on another rant like I've done in the past, but we know it's weak. And the government's worried since 401Ks aren't, and other retirement plans aren't really tested because we haven't had many generations come through and enter retirement without full pensions. We're, we're coming upon the first generation ever to come into retirement without a pension. So the government is scared what's going to happen to this workforce when they enter retirement especially since most uh, most people out there managing their money are doing a very poor job of it. So that's why they're now going out there and focusing on this fiduciary responsibility. And you say, well, what is fiduciary responsibility? And what fiduciary responsibility is, is in simple English, a fiduciary is generally anyone who makes material decisions about the retirement plan or has the authority to do so. And every plan must have at least one named fiduciary responsibility, and that's typically, like I said, the boss or the person named as the trustee. And you really need to make them take this seriously because as ERISA law, that's the, government, that's the body that manages these retirement plans, they take it very seriously, so seriously that they say you can be personally responsible for the results of the decision-making, meaning that if your employees are being taken advantage of or their fees are much higher than industry standards, you can be held personally responsible as a fiduciary. That is awful, you know, for those owners if they're not taking that serious. So bosses and owners of companies need to be very careful because this is going to be an area that's going to become increasingly important. And I'm just giving you a heads up, and I think you need to go remind your bosses of their responsibilities. If you need some articles, I do have a link for, to ADP because they, you know, they're the payroll company, the biggest payroll company out there, and they have a whole series on fiduciary responsibility that's going to help out you making a case to your boss to consider they might not need to have 
your 401k or retirement plan with an insurance company or an expensive mutual fund company because there's better better options out there. So I hope those issues helped you out on understanding your 401k. Now let's talk about this Morningstar article. It's great. I thought this was an outstanding article. It says Morningstar expects to add data that captures investors' experience. And let me give you some examples of what this new data is going to do. Let's talk about MFS, Capital Opportunities Fund. If you go pull up on their company website and so forth, the average rate of return they show you for the last 10 years is a 6% rate of return as of May 31st. And that's using the old method or the conventional method for, for determining performance. But then you go use Morningstars based upon the actual inflow and outflow of money within to, from individual investors into these funds. And that exact same fund that supposedly earns 6% a year for the last 10 years actually lost 3.2% a year for the average investor. That is a 9% difference a year. That's tremendous. So this is going to be a very powerful tool that's put out there. Another one, y'all have all heard of Janus and the Janus Overseas Fund. It's posted on its website a top-notch 12.8% average annual return for the last decade. But what has the average investor actually gotten when you use, run it through Morningstar's analysis? It's a return of only 5%. So you can see how this is really going to draw light to what the average investor has done. Now, there is also you get rewarded for being a buy-and-hold type investor. And I'll tell you a fund that I use a ton is Dodge & Cox stock, but it's closed to new investors. But they're listed in this article, the Dodge and Cox Fund of Families, family of funds, you know, if you want to reverse it. Uh, they um, have averaged, the fund family has, an average return for the last decade of 12.54%. Meanwhile, the average investor that uses their funds has got an average rate of return of 12.51%. So, they're, they're, you know, essentially everybody that's buying Dodge and Cox is hanging in there. They're buy and hold type mentality. And I, I know a lot of people who are using those funds are actually being, you know, directed there by advisors, fee-only advisors. So, you know, I like to think that a lot of people are getting the word for good advice out there as well. But let me give you some others because I've got a list here in this in this Wall Street Journal article of um, some of the big funds out there. American funds, the average um, based upon, you know, how it's ordinarily calculated is 10.38% for the 10 years. This is the family of funds and their average is 1038 and they put up a respectable 9.89%, pretty good. Fidelity Investments, the average ordinarily calculated for the entire fund family is 8.5%, and um, the average investor is at 8%, so that's a good thing. Vanguard is also pretty good. The average fund family is 8.42%. The average investment based upon Morningstar's calculation is 75 but check out these. Get down to Janus. They've got the average based upon calculated the old way is 7.89%, but the average investor has only made 2.3%. That's a huge difference. Same thing with MFS. They show the average rate of return is 5.87%. Their investors only show 2.76%. And this goes on and on. You can see how this can truly impact the average investor. Now, another thing from the exact same Wall Street Journal article is talking about, and this was done by Ian McDonald. The benefits of saving wasted on the youth. Now, I'm not going to read this whole article by. I'm going to read off a little bit of it. It says, day by day, it's painfully clear that we're on the hook to pay for our own retirements. 
someone should tell folks in their 20s and 30s. Does this sound familiar? It sounds like almost I could have written this thing because this is exactly what I've been telling you guys. The national personal savings rate, the fraction of after-tax income left after spending, has been falling for a long time. Between the end of World War II and the early 1980s, U.S. citizens consistently saved about 9% of their income after taxes. 9%. Do you hear how big that number is? 9%. Well, listen to this number. So far this year, average savings are negative by more than 1% according to data from Moody's Economy.com. Now, and then, then listen, this is, this is even what's crazier to me. As you go look at the, the, the number for people 42 years old and younger, the savings rate has slipped even worse than that. It steadily slipped during the past 15 years. It was nearly minus 18% in the year ended March 31st. Can you? That means young people, that's us, the young people, are spending close to 20% more than they're making. That's despicable. It's disgusting, and we're all going to pay for it um, because of the poor decision-making of everybody because you're all going to have to work forever. You realize that. There's no financial independence if you have no money in the bank because you just have to work until the day you fall over. That's not a healthy thing. Plus, it adds stress. If you don't have money in the bank, you have a hard time sleeping. It, it, it brings on bad health issues. You've got to take care of yourself and pay yourself first. And then this is exactly what I've been saying, too, is it says – most pundits suggest we save 15 to 20% of pre-tax income for retirement and other goals. There's another I told you so. I actually got in a discussion with a journalist recently. Um, she didn't agree with my 15 to 20% recommendation, said it was too much for the average person. They weren't going to be able to do it. They wouldn't have money to pay for education, pay their credit card bills. And sure, I can understand it's hard, but this is what's going to be required since we don't have pensions. We don't have Social Security in the future. You've got to do it yourself. So these are huge, huge issues that are going to face us all. Now, I want to remind you guys, hopefully a bunch of you have stuck around. We've got to now that we've got the brand new website. We've got a brand new microphone. I still need your help. I need you to go support our sponsors so we can continue to keep sponsors, continue to keep things coming in to grow this show. I need you to continue to get more subscribers. Tell your friends, family, anybody to listen to you. If they want to know more about money, tune into money-guy.com. Go subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave us, actually, you know, leave us some actual reviews on iTunes. These things help us out tremendously. But you guys have been uh, just a great asset for me. I appreciate you guys coming back time after time to listen to the podcast. If you do want to contact me, And leave me subscriber emails. You can do that at my email address at jbp at preston-cleveland.com. And thanks so much for tuning in today. Um, Leave me some feedback on what you think about the new microphone because I do want to know from um, objective listener sources that you all do appreciate the upgrades. And um, until next time, may God bless you with good wealth, good family, good friends, and, of course, good health. Until next time, this is Brian the Money Guy.